Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. How do you do, everyone? My name is... And this is the Bloody Disgusting Network. The succeeding show will fill you with dread. Have a good time. My friendship to all of you precludes my involvement with any one of you. But if you want to make love, then I do too, and I'll be right there behind you. Greetings, constant listeners, and welcome back to the Losers Club, a Stephen King podcast. I'm your host, Michael Monroeville Mall Rothman, and I'm not alone here as I journey back to Ludlow because meeting me and, and welcome me into the town where she's been in uh, for the last couple hours uh, because she just uh, talked about it. Please introduce yourself. <laughs> Hey, this is Jen to the Rage Adams. And yes, I am a fully like registered member of Ludlow at this yeah. point. I am I fully immersed myself in the pet cemeteryism. I read the book twice in the last two weeks. Well, oh, I mean, twice listened. Yeah, because it's so good. I mean, it was not exactly a chore, but I'm writing about it and talking about these episodes. And I just wanted to, you know, immerse myself. It, it's been one that I've avoided for a while because it's like emotionally devastating. So. So I, I I tried to remember this. So when you when you reread it or reread it in the past, was it one of those things where like you get to that moment where obviously mm-hmm. this shit really hits the fan? You're like, all right, I'm done. Yeah. Yes, yes. Okay. I and this is probably the book, the King book that I've read the most because I would read it over and over and yeah. over again as like a teenager and in college, and it was a real big comfort novel for me, which is nuts to say considering what this book is. But then yeah, having kids, I when I was doing my chronological reread. Aaron was like a toddler. So oh, I was wow. like, nope, okay. not reading this. And so yeah. I would get to that kite scene where it's like, this is the best day of his life. And I was like, all right, were I know you, what happens. So. Were you doing a lot of reading like out in the lawn, outside the house, next to the <laughs> highway? <laughs> I was just <laughs> let, watching the kids play in the road, you know. I'm sorry, the like, road. The road. <laughs> uh, well, we. it's funny because we were. I was thinking about this also. Is So last weekend was a year that we went to the very road that, that Mary Lambert for the original 1989 Pet Cemetery, And I, that's right. I remember thinking that nothing really had changed and the lawn that's right next to the house to the highway legitimately feels like a mile from the road and so yeah. the rud and <laughs> the, the run that Lewis has to do, you know, at least or Dale Midkiff, at least in the original, like Tom Cruise style running to get to the road. Oh yeah. It's very far. It it is an actual sprint if you're if they're that deep into the, the field. But um, well, what's funny is I've been writing about it. So I've been looking through a lot of stills from the movie and there is one of Gage on the road and Lewis running. And then there's one of Gage and then Dale Midkiff just absolutely eating dirt right oof. behind him. And it's like what? his feet are flying up in the air. His head is totally on the ground. It's really funny. I wonder in production shooting days or scheduling, was that before or after he slammed his eye or his oh head God. into the fucking nightstand? <laughs> God, like just an oh. absolute physical demanding performance for, for Dale. Um, I know. Mm, but, still one of the most horrifying moments of the movie is when yeah. you're like, oh, he just lost an eye. <laughs> well, it's it's uh, it's very telling that we're talking about the original Pet Cemetery, uh, but here's the irony is that we're actually talking about the prequel to the yeah. 2019 Pet Cemetery, as you uh, you all have already been discussing on the movie review episode, which if you haven't listened to it, you can go back, listen to the prior episode. We spl- decided to split it up, uh, yeah. you know, not not only to you know get more hits, to get mm-hmm. some more numbers, <laughs> you know, to, to game the system. No, 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 that's not true at all. We're not. But sometimes we're not... two episodes is better. Yeah. You know? Sometimes you get two for the price of one. You know, mm-hmm. like when you used to go to Blockbuster and they go, excuse me, sir, uh, you actually get a free rental today. Oh. <gasps> 
that was okay. The best well, I'll ever. be two more hours through Blockbuster trying to figure yeah. out the next thing. <laughs> yeah, that that was either a, a, a win some or lose some situation, especially if it was definitely lose some for my parents if they were with me, yeah. and was, and they're like, no, don't tell them that. Like, we yeah, like already yeah, took a yeah. fucking hour for him to pick out this one. <laughs> right. um, anyway, so yes, yeah, so we are talking more about Pet Cemetery Bloodlines, which is uh, currently streaming on Paramount Plus, because we are speaking to the director Lindsay Anderson Beer. Uh, also a writer uh, who certainly punched up the script and certainly added in some incredible arcs that I think add to the uh, the story at hand. Now, I, I wasn't on the movie review episode, but I will say one of the things that I found pretty astounding with this prequel, which, by the way, we broke uh, back in 2019, our, our boy Dan Caffrey talking to Lorenzo yeah. uh, de Bonaventura. Uh, he asked, you know, they... Lorenzo actually mentioned the prequel during that interview. It was a video interview. Uh, Caffrey looked delightful. He was wearing a, a nice flannel <laughs> shirt, I believe, uh, even oh. though it was probably 90 degrees outside. So, um, But I remember... It's consummate professional. You know? Oh, just an absolute professional. You know, when it, when it comes to the the interview circuit, I, I think of, you know, the the regulars out there, my, 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 my uh, friend... Or not my friend, a listener or a follower, Jake Hamilton of Chicago. He's the the number one when it comes to the interview circuit out there. But like not too far away, Dan Caffrey. You know, he's uh-huh. just right there. He's always good. Uh, but I just remember hearing about the prequel and thinking, gosh, that sounds so much more interesting to me than the remake. Yeah. Yeah, same. Because it's a story we haven't seen. And it's something that like we've been reading about. And I mean, I think they didn't confirm it at this time, I'm pretty sure. But I think a lot of us were like, it's probably going to be Timmy Baderman. You yeah. Because yeah. that's that's the thing that stands out in the book. That's like, mm, I want to know more about that. So, yeah. And and now we do. And it's it's really cool. I love the way she played with the lore. You know? Same. It, you and know? it felt very kingy in a way that I don't think the remake was. The remake felt very vicious, cynical, uh, mm-hmm. modern in a way that strayed a little bit too far from, I think, the the Kingian roots. And certainly what I love about the story, which, you know, what King does really well is the sense of community. And I didn't get that from mm-hmm. the remake. I, I got the sense that everyone hated each other, including everyone in the house. Yeah, <laughs> so it's yeah. like, you know, I just didn't buy a that. Dour. <laughs> it was a little dour. Yeah. Even though there were some twists and subversions I thought were cool that maybe shouldn't have been in the trailer. But anyway, um, <laughs> I, I did... It really, really, I was kind of taken back by this one because it does feel like a, a like a Kingian story. Like it, there's mm-hmm. a multitude of characters. There's an ensemble in a small town. Doesn't get more Kingian than that. Yeah. Um, and I mean, the cast is pretty inspired. So yep, I, I, yep. Mm-hmm. I, you know. Anyway, I just wanted to add for my own two cents in there um, because you know I never shut the fuck up on this show. Am I right? <laughs> but. Uh, Anyway, speak- I mean, I don't think any of us do. <laughs> we really don't. We, we really don't. Here. I know this is, and everyone is always on the Discord. It's like, no, it's fine. It's fine. And it's like, oh gosh, they're going to, mm, I'm just going to see inside our heads. I know. God, <laughs> I'll be at like dinners and I'll just be like, shut up, shut up. Like, you know, just oh, stop. <laughs> um, well, I sh- I'm, ha- I'm hearing that voice now because <laughs> we have an interview to get to. <laughs> so let's, uh, let's, let's go, let's climb the, uh, what is it? The deadfall. Let's get over oh, the yeah, deadfall. Yeah. Yeah, don't and, look down. Yeah, don't look down. And um, certainly, um, yeah, just keep looking forward because you could break your neck over here. Mm. Again, we're referencing the 1989 one. Anyway, <laughs> enjoy the interview with Lindsay Beer. Hey. Hey. Hi, how you doing? So nice to meet you guys. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. I love your podcast. I, oh. uh, I think it's so cool what you do, like creating a sense of community around film and horror film. I think it's really special. Oh, thank you. Thanks. Yeah, we've been, I was just thinking the other day, I was like, we've been doing this for like almost seven years now. And I'm like, that's like such a huge chunk at this point of my life where I'm like, <laughs> good God, like Stephen King has just been it's a weekly show so it's just like wow he's been in our life for this long for seven seven straight years jesus it's almost um, middle school and high school you know yeah yeah dedicating three years <laughs> to one episode which is what i just <laughs> that's true that's, that's true. right yeah yeah well let, let's talk about that so i i you know with these interviews i usually always start off with just the easiest question which is you know what is your relationship to stephen king especially you know over the years did was this an author that you you know you read growing up um or is this something that you came into the project for? 
Yeah, I was such a huge Stephen King fan. I um, I stumbled upon him by accident. I think I was tricked. <laughs> I was uh, I, I was a big nerd. I loved spending time in libraries, and I saw this book on the shelf called Pet Cemetery. I think I was like nine or ten. So I had no idea what I was in store for, and I started reading it, but I absolutely loved it and became addicted to Stephen King from there. And that was kind of my entree into films. Um, I think probably Stand By Me was probably the first King film that I saw, but um, Pet Cemetery was the first book that I read and remains my favorite to this day. Yeah, you, Jen, you just finished it. Literally. I did. Again, this I is like probably your fifth it. time reading it. But oh, yeah. maybe like 15th time. Like I yeah, love yeah. this book. It was one of, <laughs> I think I actually tricked one of my friends into reading it too because I was suggesting it, not realizing like how high my tolerance for scariness is, you know, and yeah. she's yeah, not yeah. really, a, she doesn't have that high of a tolerance. So I'm not sure if she <laughs> ever read King again after reading Pet Cemetery. Um, but have you continued to read more of his novels and are there any others that you love? Not as an adult. I, I certainly, I mean, I, I read all of, all of the ones that had come out until about 2000, Mm -hmm. I would say, um, which is about the time I stopped reading fiction for fun. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, like, I, I loved reading fiction as a kid. I read so much that I feel like I blew through everything new noteworthy. And then mm. I kind of moved on to nonfiction, which is <laughs> what I <stuck> primarily. <laughs> um, uh, but I mean, Shawshank Redemption, I think is such an amazing book. Mm. I uh, just blown away by it. I so many of his stuff. I can't even name favorites. I'm, I'm the worst person to interview because I, I don't really have favorites in general. Mm. I, I'm, I'm a big consumer. I'm like a garbage disposal. For- <laughs> and I, and I just, I love so much and I love different things about different things. So people mm-hmm. always ask, what's your favorite? And I don't know. All of it. It's amazing. <laughs> Now my, my, my favorites change like every on the flip of the dime, like, have, yeah. you know, there's always prompts on Twitter or on social media and they're like, Oh, name your five, this. And I'll like go to get a cup of coffee and I'm like, ah, fuck, that was like the fifth one probably would have been better. So it's like, it literally changes in like two seconds after I post things sometimes. So it's like, it is kind of pointless to be like, yeah, that's my favorite. Cause I feel it's evolving all the time, you mm-hmm. know, but yeah. Um, how did, so, you know, this is a project that we've actually, it's been really near and dear to our heart just because. We were so we were there at South by Southwest in 2019, and um, our co-host Dan Caffrey, he, you know, got to speak to the cast and crew, and we were all were kind of shocked because during the producer interview, you know, Lorenzo de Bonaventura, like he was like, yeah, I think there's a prequel there, and we're like, oh, okay, yeah, cool, like it's for us. You know, we've always been obsessed with just these older stories, and especially like the past, like stuff that Judd talks about in the book, and then you know, cut to four, you know, God, has it been four years now? Yeah. Four years here, the movie is. So how did, how did the, you get involved in this project and, you know, what was the scripting process like also, um, you know, coming into this? Yeah. I had worked with Lorenzo and Mark, the producers on, on the Transformers franchise, and we just had a really good relationship. And I was at a point in my career where I, I mean, I had always, the goal for me was always directing and and writing for me was just a means to kind of build up enough cred to be able to be a writer director. And I was at that point in my life where I just, I needed to find something to direct. Mm -hmm. And that was my sole focus. So we set some meetings with some producers that I had really good relationships with, Lorenzo and Mark included. And Mark said, I don't care what it is. Like I have to be the producer on whatever you direct. And then maybe a few weeks, I think it was two or three weeks later, he said, he called me and he said, would you ever be interested in Pet Cemetery?" And I said, are you kidding me? That was my <laughs> book as, as a kid, send me the script. So I read this, he sent me it to me immediately. I read the script within like 45 minutes and it, the process just happened really quickly from there. And I just, I, I fell in love with this idea of, of telling a prequel. Um, Cause I mean, I, I honestly, I wouldn't have made the 2019 film. I, I, I am not interested in a remake, but yeah. the ability to answer some questions that I wanted to answer as a fan was something really exciting to me. And so I was just, I was so excited by it. Yeah. That honestly, the, the, for us, I think that's where we're at with the the prequel. Is mm-hmm. that it is? It does feel so new and so fresh. Um, but 
Yeah. Go for it, Jim. Sorry. <laughs> well, oh, no, no. Well, and also, like, the book hints at such a really interesting history before exactly. the story we exactly. get. Yeah. Exactly. It, it hints at so much stuff, and there's, I mean, the book has so much stuff. Mm-hmm. It's just stuff, stuff galore, rich, richness and stuff. And there's kind of subtle connective tissue between it all that I mm-hmm. felt like just like dying to be pulled out and kind mm-hmm. of tied in a bow. And so that was really, that was really exciting to me. Yes. And I have so many questions about that because I really love the way it feels like a connected story and it feels like it is playing on these things that have kind of been strings hanging in the back of our heads if we've read the book, you know, but it also feels like its own thing. So were you making, did you make a conscious decision to kind of stick with one element of the story, which is Timmy Baderman and kind of this flashback that Judd tells in around the middle of the book, I think. Um, and kind of how did you approach adapting this? Yeah. I, so Jeff Bueller, who was the writer on the 2019 movie, he wrote the first drafts of this, which is what got me interested in the film. And then I took over scripting duties mm-hmm. when I came cool. the director. And it was his idea, as far as I know, because this predates me, but this is what I've been told. It was his idea to focus on the Timmy Baderman chapter. Mm-hmm. And um, which I think was such a brilliant idea and and very much kind of laid the foundation for what interested me. Um, I did end up changing a lot just because that's, you know, directing is so personal. You Mm -hmm. have to make your own. And and he wrote this really fun, like slasher movie. Mm -hmm. And and I wanted to do something that felt a little bit more in line with the spirit of the book which is mm-hmm. a genre mashup you know it's mm-hmm. it's drama it's horror it, it's kind of everything um so there's a lot i changed but there's certainly the story pillars at least of a a boy who comes back from war and the timmy, timmy baderman chapter being kind of the the lens through which we explore an origin story for judd was completely his idea um for me i just adapting it I felt like there was there was a lot that I needed to add to it just because yeah. I felt like there, as we just said, there are so many questions and, and thoughts I had while reading the book as a kid, you know, it's just like, oh, does this mean that? Or does that mean this? And, and what does this really mean? And what's the truth behind this? And, and just kind of fleshing it out into more of a, a conspiracy. And then also, um, you know, subverting the mythology of the the Wendigo, which I felt like, you know, present day doesn't um, necessarily resonate the way that it, it it did when when King wrote the book, and, yeah. and and just adding to the sense though that we've been lied to. You know, the the story that we've been told is a, is a cover up. The story that Judd's been told is a cover up. It's superstition or it's whatever. But the real story is that this evil predates everything and um it's not it's not an indigenous curse <laughs> yeah i love see i absolutely love that because you know that's kind of what we were really going for coming into this i think is just you know all right we got the seeds of this from the story we always loved you know the the bits and pieces from those tales but what's going to really surprise us what's going to be that left hook and i really just appreciated the way you you worked in those new narratives and the new characters and you know the family parallels and like especially even just like the cultural differences between those parallels there's just a lot of flesh to to the bones of the story that surprised me in ways when you know when you think of a prequel it's like oh is it just going to be the same thing again and, and it's but it's not though and and the expectations of where it had to end up didn't necessarily like that wasn't really the end goal in the sense that it was almost like I got the sense that oh no there's a completely new story being told here that has a lot of layers that has a lot of nuance and it made me wonder you know just given the lore and the mythology like did you have to like create a storybook for these families like a character like how did you how did what was your approach of like creating this this other world that you know is certainly separate from the book it is separate from the book. I, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I reread in preparation for the, for for rewriting the drafts and then making the movie. I probably reread the book twenty times. <laughs> nice. I took all my 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 favorite imagery and my favorite quotes, and and for me, what's most important when adapting something is just kind of keeping 
the the themes and the spirit alive mm-hmm. of, of what that book meant. So even though this plot was extremely different than anything we see in the book or the movies, I wanted to make sure that like that theme of the terrible choices we make and what would you do to spend one more day with somebody you love, like was kept alive in this, but mm-hmm. explored, explored in a, in a, in a totally different way. But yeah, I mean, when it, when it comes to thinking about the different families and the different mythologies, I feel like there's a whole murder board in my, <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, like yeah, I was thinking yeah. the wire with like the, you know, the cotton yeah. wires and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, I, w- I went super deep. Nice. <laughs> well, and one of the the imagery that I wanted to ask about is this the spiral. So I have read this book so many times, but I have a ten year old and a nine or an eleven year old and a nine year old right now, and I've not been able to read the second half of that since before they were born. But I finished it this time. I powered through. But I was really surprised at how beautiful some of the language is. And there is a passage where Lewis is talking about the concentric circles of the pet cemetery as a spiral. And spirals really play really heavily into um, your film and also kind of the theme of bloodline. So I was just wondering, was that the inspiration? And can you talk a little bit about spirals? Yeah, absolutely. Spirals were. pretty much an organizing principle for me, mm-hmm. both visually and narratively. You know, I thought about the town as kind of a spiral and you've got all these different characters in in the story. And I thought of them as 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 this spiral that's connected and 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 that they can't kind of escape each other and they're mm-hmm. all connected in this conspiracy and stuck in this little circle of violence, um, especially generation to generation. Um I, I think in the book, there's some, there's, he says something about it, the spiral being the kind of connective tissue between our world and, and, and the other world. And I also thought about, you know, animals and, and, and humans and demons and us all being kind of on a spectrum of mm-hmm. that spiral and how that, and how that connects us. And for me, it just made a story that has so many different elements just kind of make sense. Like we're all just kind of connected. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I wanted to show how the burden of this curse in this town really affects everybody, mm-hmm. uh, all, all these relationships. So I wrote a ton of very, very prescriptive language in, into the script about mm-hmm. viral imagery. And there's the obvious ones that you know, are in the other films as well, such as the burial ground and the pet cemetery, but, you know, from donuts to coffee mugs, to tires, to, you know, there, there are circles everywhere mm-hmm. you look, if you mm-hmm. go back and watch it. And that was very purpose. <laughs> well, nice. And you can also kind of look at the original novel and you already kind of mentioned it as one bad decision follows another and you get yeah. to a point where you can't break out mm-hmm. of the spiral. And I think what I was really fascinated by is you kind of spread that apart to generations and how once you are a part of this spiral, it's going to affect your ancestors down the road. Also, one of my favorite parts of the novel is Judd sitting on the porch. And I love how you turned that into a kind of setting watch, you know? Um, so can you tell us a little bit about kind of the the family dynamics and the generational aspect of the story? Yeah, I mean, the the original book and the movies focus so much on a parent's decision to save their children. And mm-hmm. I was really intrigued by this idea of looking at a new generation, looking at their parents and their parents' parents, 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 and all of those <laughs> seeing it from a new perspective and and the kind of burden that you have on you from what your parents have kind of saddled you with and what history has saddled you with and so that that was kind of forefront on my mind my mind as as well and I thought it was really interesting to be able to kind of anchor it between Timmy and Judd and you've got these two fathers who make choices that are, you know, seemingly opposite, but similarly motivated. You know, you've got Bill Baderman played by David Duchovny, who makes a terrible choice to resurrect his son. And then you've got Henry Thomas playing Dan Crandall, who keeps secrets from his son. And both, both, both of them, it, it's just trying to protect them, mm-hmm. you know, trying to give them their best lives possible. And then it comes into this collision course that uh, I, I just, I found really interesting, both between the sons, but also between the fathers. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I mean, that's, you know, I, I saw a lot of parallels between what Lewis does to try to protect Gage and how you think that it is going to be the right decision, but you really can't know what the right decision is. And sometimes the best of intentions turn out just horrific. Um, speaking of David Duchovny, I know Mike and I are both huge X-Files fans. So what was it like to uh, to work with him? And well, I have more questions about his character, but also just want to hear about David Duchovny. <laughs> um, I, I mean, th- this is not like Hollywood version compliments where I say he is the most amazing human, but mm. he is the most amazing human. He is he is so thoughtful and so generous and so sweet. And, you know, every scene he comes at from just such a what would this character really do and what would they be burdened by in mm-hmm. every scene. And uh he was also just like he has endless tolerance for 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 bullshit too (laughs) (laughs) you know because he's david duchovny and people come up and they annoy him and like stuff that would annoy people but he's just like he's (laughs) just such a kind person Mm -hmm. um he's the best to work with what was uh, the the approach to this character is so interesting because there is a lot of nuance there, you know, like on one side, you're like, eh, I kind of get what he's doing, you know, I get it. Like, but then, you know, he also is pretty much the vi- the villain in the sense the instigator, of, of the word. Yeah. yeah, a little bit. Like, did he have a lot of discussions with you just based on the, that character? And just did he have any like inferences you wanted to bring to the table, too? Um, um Yeah, I mean. So what, I mean, one of the many kind of bigger changes that I wanted to make to the script when I came aboard was making sure that Bill Baderman's character was a very kind of nuanced and sympathetic character. He was the kind of villain villain in in the original drafts. And I had seen obviously X-Files, but his role in Californication and what sort of father he is, is what made me want to go to him for this. And he, in you know, real life, is obviously a father and a very caring father. And I mean, every every scene that we discussed, he came to it with the perspective of, of a father and what he thought he would actually be going through if he if he were experiencing that kind of loss. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, it. I I do love the fact that you mix in a lot of you know young stars with a lot of like you know with the familiar faces, the veterans and all and. I did wonder because there are a number of of roles, or at least another of, of actors that are on you know the role sheet here. That certainly Stephen King fans would be like, "Oh, they're back!" Like, I, was that pointed at all? Was there you know like, "Oh, hey, Henry Thomas, he was just in Doctor's Sleep. Let's get him <laughs> here back for this." Was was or was it just kind of serendipitous in that respect? It, I mean, I I wanted. Um, I wanted people who have where you because Im- there's. There's so there's so many characters right in the movie, and yeah. you need you need an economy and a shorthand of emotion with those people. And so you see somebody like Duchovny, you see Pam Greer, you see Samantha Mathis, you you see Henry Thomas. You have a shorthand and an understanding that these people have a long history, and I I wanted to imbue the movie with that and have that immediate connection to those characters, so we understand. Yeah, these. These are the elders of the town. They know shit. They've been around. <laughs> yeah. You no. Know? Um, and and but I think they did that, but also brought they each brought something that I hadn't exactly seen in roles that they had played before in other King adaptations. Oh, I totally. love that. Thinking of like the elders of like the King alumni also, you know, yeah. kind of ushering in a new generation. Um, and I wanted to talk about an, um, another character because Judd Crandall is a fan favorite in all of King's Dominion. He's one of my favorite characters. Um, and, you know, when I we all obviously all love Fred Gwynn's performance, and that's who a lot of us picture. And I was really shocked by John Lithgow's performance in the remake as well. I thought he really, really killed that role. <laughs> no pun intended. Um, so I wanted to talk about casting for young Judd Crandall. How did you approach it? Were you thinking of either of those two actors or both or neither? I mean, first of all, I think, you know, both of those actors are so phenomenal and uh, are the highlights of, of both both of the films. I so it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's a hard role to cast. And mm-hmm. I so many amazing young actors raised their hands for that role. And to me, it came down to a couple things. Um, one, because we know 
we only know Judd in movies as an older man. Mm -hmm. I wanted to make sure that whoever I cast felt a little bit like an old soul that we could relate to, even though he was, he was younger. Um, and that we could understand that transformation of somebody who starts out a little naive. And then you can imagine that uh, the the boy sitting on the porch at the end is the same old man that you see uh, on the porch in the, in, in the, in the other movies. Um, and then another really key point for me was just chemistry with uh, the character Manny, mm -hmm. uh, who to me is, you know, the equal two hander who I actually cast first. Oh. Um, and because I had seen him in things, I knew there was nobody that could play the role better. And so then when I did, I did some chemistry reads and he and Jackson just, they had such a natural rapport with each other. And I believed that friendship. And to me, that was key to the heart of the movie. Mm -hmm. And that was the, that was the kicker for me. Well, and I wanted to ask about that. I think one of my favorite moments, and I laughed out loud when he said, why are you sexy? I thought it was so funny. Um, and I wanted to ask if you could just talk about like the core, because I mean, that could be considered the core of the, the spiral of this film is this friendship yeah. between these three boys and how, well, men now, and how you kind of approached adding humor and heart into such a dark story. Yeah, to me, that was so important. You know, I I do not like relentlessly dark stories. Mm. I don't think they're true to life. You know, that's yeah. just, that's not as humans, how we deal with the darkest of things that happen to us. Mm -hmm. We require we lightness and levity. And um, so I wanted to make sure that we were kind of balancing something that felt a little more authentic. And, and like we were discussing earlier, the, the book itself is very funny at times. So I wanted to make sure there was some humor incorporated with that within and certainly in the script I incorporated you know a, a little humor it's a really tough tightrope to walk mm -hmm. but I will say Forrest Goodluck is so fucking funny like <laughs> he, anything he said was way funnier than anything I wrote <laughs> so we would we would do takes of what I scripted and then I'd do you know once I was satisfied with that I'd be like okay now say whatever the fuck you want um, <laughs> And, and, and he would always come up with something better than what I wrote for sure. A hundred percent always. Um, and, but I think, I think that's, that's important and it's mm -hmm. so important to sell their friendship and for us to understand why they, they love each other, um, mm -hmm. as friends. And for sure I could make a rom-com out of the deleted scenes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, coming into this, it's a, you know, it's a period piece. And I've, and I've always wondered as we've gone further and further away from this era, just how difficult it is to kind of capture these, these eras at this point, you know, like, I feel like, you know, we had a plethora of, of movies set during this time, you know, in this, certainly in like the, you know, the eighties and the nineties. And I think the further, further we go away, it's like, all right, there's certainly a hurdle now <laughs> to be able to replicate it, you know, now that it's over half a century ago um, or close to that. What were the hurdles for you in, in making sure that, you know, it kind of stayed period specific? Were there ever, you know, shots you're like, God damn it, there's a, a satellite in the background. Like I, I think of like in, we, we, I just did a podcast for Raiders of Lost Ark and they talked about how when they were shooting in, um, in uh, overseas, they literally had to go on every rooftop and take down satellites back in the eighties because, you know, this is before, you know, special effects. So it was like, well, we can't have that in the background. Uh, were there any similar situations in this? Oh, where yeah. like, Get it out of here. You know, <laughs> like, <laughs> For sure. I mean, I, so much of my VFX budget is blown by just erasing <laughs> things oh, <gosh>. from, <laughs> from modern day. And, and it's a struggle, but for me, I, I was excited to, take a little bit of a different approach to period because I feel like so many of the things that we see set in the sixties are super stylized, you know, in a way that take me a little bit out of the film. And, and when I was doing my research and looking at pictures of, of Maine in the sixties, I mean, those people basically look like they're in the nineties, you know, there's yeah. a lot of, <laughs> they're, they're, they're definitely not, definitely not high sixties fashion. Um, but it was just, 
it was somewhat much more kind of subtle and relatable than what I've seen on screen. And so I wanted to try to bring that and, mm. and not do like, you know, not do a grain or not do something that I'm like, we're in the sixties, Yeah, <laughs> uh-huh. but try to make it feel more immediate and, and relatable. And, and, and I do think that what they were going through at the time in terms of, you know, the disillusionment with the war and realizing that the country wasn't exactly what they thought it was, I is so, there's so much parallel to what's going on now mm-hmm. that it, it it makes that time period to me more relevant than ever. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and it dovetails dovetails so nicely with just the themes in general too. Yeah, um sure. but it really sure. does. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I, I'm curious too because like if I'm trying to do my year math, like the movie or the film is what I'm sorry, the original novel is like 89, 86, somewhere around there. And so the flashback, then Timmy Baderman's story, I believe, was set during Korea or World War II, right? I think it's like World War II-ish. Yeah. Right? And so remember, with yeah. the the remake being set in modern times, did that uh, change how you approached the story at all? Um, just having it kind of bumped up a couple of decades? I mean, I, I, I think that bumping it up a couple of decades is really helpful to mm. the story parallel in the themes because world war ii is i think a more maybe a little bit more black and white war and and vietnam is such a controversial war mm-hmm. and and um I, I think parallels much better with the the war the the people are fighting in ludlow against the evil mm-hmm. so uh, to me it was a, a very helpful story change but um, the the timing of it predate, predates me. They had already, already decided mm-hmm. that it was not when I came aboard, which is one of the things that interested me, mm-hmm. to be honest. You shot mostly in Montreal, right? For the what Montreal was that? Montreal days in LA. Oh, okay. interesting. Okay, cool, cool. Did was there um you know when you were looking and doing research in in Maine, is it pretty much easy to just kind of like all right, this is <laughs> we're gonna you know, this looks like Maine in a sense, or what, what was like the location scouting for this uh, for you? Did you have fun like going up ahead of time or did you find period specific areas that like you could be like, ah, this could work or do you have to do yeah, a lot of stuff? I was, I was shocked how well it doubled. I, no. half of my family is from New England. So I spend a lot of time out there. If I could have, I would have shot in Maine, but for some logistic reasons, we could not. Um, but I thought that Montreal ended up doubling really well and especially yeah. because the areas outside of Montreal where we we filmed are so underdeveloped that it was easier to replicate the the 60s than I think it would have been if we were trying to actually shoot in 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 proper Maine. I there's something about Canada that's just so malleable in terms of just what you can do with it. I, I always mm-hmm. think of like the X-Files like the first 5 seasons just like the the mat the just the the range of like you know terrain that they were able to kind of pull from there and even with like you know like supernatural they did like 15 seasons in in, in Canada and it's just like never ran out of places to you know to to lean on there is just something I don't know like I I feel like it's it's it is kind of like a great sandbox to you know to pull from and I think the the movie certainly uh, capitalizes on that uh, for sure when you know in terms of you know shooting on location. Were there any, uh, you know, weather things that you had to deal with or is there any like, all right, well, we can't shoot today. We got to, you know, it's, it's raining again or, you know, that type of thing. Or was it kind of just an easy breezy shoot? Uh, I mean, it was definitely not an easy breezy shoot on any level, but <laughs> I, I also, I, I made things difficult on myself and that I really, I wanted to find authentic places and locations as much as possible and not shoot in the studio mm-hmm. and shoot on location and, including the swamp, mm. which we built, we built the swamp in a forest. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> which, you know, you know, everyone's like, wait, what? We're, we're building a swamp. In a forest. But yes, we're, we're building a swamp in a forest. Um, so, you know, that, that water was not like, it, it's not a, it, it's not a hot tub. So mm. trying to <laughs> film those scenes at night in the freezing cold because oh god <laughs> that, that section came towards the end of september when we were at the end of our shoot so it had actually gotten cold at night okay. so that 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 was the biggest challenge in terms of the, the logistics was that shoot but i think you know the the realism you get from shooting in a real forest and also from you know those are two those aren't those aren't stunt double scenes those are the two of them 
you know, going at mm-hmm. it at the, oh. at the end in the real elements. And I think you feel yeah. it. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, uh, I've been texting Mike about this. I am just in love with the music that you chose for this. I oh, want to talk about, there are two songs I want to talk about. Um, but I think the weight is just such a perfect song for the end, uh, credits. And I just was wondering if you could talk a little bit about the choice to end the film with that, because we have like the original film, we have, um, the, the, oh gosh, I'm blanking the Pet Cemetery song. And I just, I love yeah. the tone that this one sets at the end. So what, w- what went into that choice? So this was a song my mom introduced me to when I was in junior high and I just, I played it on repeat over and over mm. and over again. That's so much to me. So I knew that like I had to fit it into the film, even mm. though it's, very expensive and Paramount was not happy with me. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's worth it. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but, you know, I think because of my personal connection to it, I felt like it was the perfect bittersweet song when he's leaving town. Cause you know, I, I play it when he's leaving town and mm-hmm. he's a little about it and he's so happy to get out, but he's also like, there's a lot he's leaving behind. Mm-hmm. And then for me, I just felt like the 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 vibe of it and the bittersweet vibe of it sums up their journey so well, mm-hmm. you know, as individuals and as friends and, you know, not to spoil any plots, but there, there, there's a lot of bittersweetness and trade-offs there that happen. Mm-hmm. And that's life, you know, you don't, mm-hmm. you don't always fulfill your dreams and some people get to, and some people don't. And mm-hmm. that's the, that's, that's the weight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 But it still feels like a positive song, you know, like mm-hmm. it's not so it's not devastating to listen to. Yeah. Yeah. I also wanted to ask about Runaround Sue because <laughs> I love this song so much. I was so happy to see it. I remember the first time I think I ever heard that song was in Sleeping with the Enemy. And so every time it comes up, I'm like, yes, Runaround Sue. So why the choice for that song? Yeah, that was another one, like same thing around the same time, um, introduced by my parents. I would play that on repeat as a kid, just like (laughs) dance around the house. And I just, I knew, you know, when I was, when I was writing the, rewriting the script, um, it was one of those songs that was on repeat on Mm -hmm. my playlist. And I just, I knew that I had to fit it in. And and it's one of those things that I think creates kind of a shorthand for the era and, Mm also in that moment I just wanted a moment of pure levity for Donna and Manny and something that we could just escape into in their relationship and you can imagine that you know as kids and by the way they choreographed that dance I did not I didn't I I was like I don't want a choreographer I want you guys to just make up something that you believe you would have made up as kids Uh so they went way and they and they worked on that together which is oh that's cute they came back with it um but that was yeah that that was the genesis of that song well now that you know it's it's coming out it's going to be here it's uh it's got to be you know a total relief to finally you know move on from this and i'm wondering what's next though because I've seen, there's a couple of projects I've, I've seen that you've been circling. There's one I'd love to ask about, but I, I kind of want to see what's your next priority. Um, well, I mean, my official priority is Sleepy Hollow. That's what I, I wanted to ask about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I turned in the first draft of that right before the week before the writer's strike started. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I'm, I'm very excited to return to that world after the strike. But yeah. It's, it's one I'm really excited about. Yeah. That, that is one of my favorite stories of all time. And mm-hmm. um, I just, yeah, I, I've been waiting forever for a new one. And I, I, are you allowed to, to talk about it at all? Or uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I, okay. I will say similar things in that it, it's a new chapter. It tells mythology that we aren't, you know, necessarily familiar with, tries to expand our understanding of what the headless horseman actually was and is and was motivated by yeah um in i don't know i just i fucking love it so. yeah this this is cool because it's <laughs> mm-hmm. it seems like it's building upon what you've just done here so it's like yeah, you're yeah. able to kind of take source material and just like extrapolate with i yeah. like this i'd so much rather have that than you know the it's like we're gonna do it word for word you know like our here we go and mm-hmm. it's just the expectations are just so much more interesting at that point but uh well i can't wait for that i am yeah same any any time we can get back to that story and honestly like even watching this i was it's so when i heard about that project 
doing research, I was like, oh, it makes total fucking sense. I mean, this is the just the whole vibe of of, of Bloodlines felt like it would fit in perfectly with just that small town atmosphere. So I'm very excited for that. But mm-hmm. um, but thank you so much for you know for joining us today. This has been this has been a blast, and oh, yeah. I'm I'm lo- really yeah. looking forward to everything that's coming up. And I honestly that that one is uh, yeah going to be great. It's, it's high be great. on our list. So, yeah. 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 Well, thank you guys both for taking the time. And, and like I said, I, I like, I, I really appreciate what you do for the, the horror community. So oh, thanks. Thank thanks. You. Yeah. We love this genre. So, I mean, my, yeah, my apartment already looks like spirit Halloween, so it's just ridiculous. <laughs> you know, it's been like that for a month. I'm like acting like, Oh, I just put it right, up exactly. after Labor Day. <laughs> no, it's been like that since July. That's great. Yeah. Um, I'm a psycho, but anyway, <laughs> thanks so much. Thank you so much. It was so nice to meet you. Yes. Well, that was a, that was a fun chat. I, the thing I really took away from this is that just how much life she brought into this project. And mm-hmm. I think some of the things I actually really did enjoy from the story, as you know, I mentioned in the intro were the things that she talked about adding or just like mm-hmm. the, the idea of fleshing out arcs, so the, the making it more than just the lore and the conceit of the prequel, which was, you know, hey, there's this section in the book. It's got some cool stories. I was admittedly disappointed we didn't see the ox, but I, I get it. It's a little hard. Yeah. It's a hard one to do. I don't think a, that's for the next prequel. Yeah, you know? let's do another one, right? Um, yeah. But I here's the thing. I I'm a little bummed that we're kind of moving away from Pet Cemetery because the Dead Zone is my favorite Stephen King book. But mm-hmm. it, my favorite Stephen King book right after that, and also the one I th- still think is the scariest, is Pet Cemetery. And and you mentioned you love rereading this, Jen. I love, when I think of fall, when I think of Stephen King, Halloween books, this is still my number one. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's something about, you can just like feel the leaves turning as you're reading it. And I think, I, I wonder if it's, there's so much time spent in the woods too. So you get like, that's what I want to do in the fall is I want to go out and I want the leaves to be falling around me. And I think you really kind of get that vibe a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. My cat agrees. She's scratching oh, very, very assertively. Yeah, exactly. Maybe she Actually, came back this is from the, Ellie. the mountain. Oh, wow. Oh, did you name the cat Ellie? I did. Yeah. It was my daughter's <laughs> uh, decision. So I don't think she, she has not read Pet Cemetery, but yeah. Oh, I hope name not. is Ellie. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, well, that is funny. That's yeah. well, very serendipitous that the that that your uh, kid, uh, you know, daughter figured out that. I feel like maybe she's, maybe she's uh, watching horror movies behind your back. You don't. Even she know. might be. I mean, I they live in a house where I watch horror movies mm-hmm. all the time. So who knows what they've heard? And, and you watch some pretty seen. dark horror movies too. Sometimes, like I remember you oh, were yeah. telling me, "Oh, I'm watching Hereditary," and I'm like, "Jesus Christ!" I, I watched Hereditary on a loop for a weekend. It yeah. was a, it was a real fun. Yeah, trip, you know? that's that's fine. I watch First Reform in the morning sometimes, and it's just about you know someone realizing the end of the world through environmental causes and the <laughs> the, the inevitability and downfall of mankind. And same way we walking out, and I'm not, she'll be like, "Oh, First Reformed again." And I'm like, "Yep, way, way to start the morning." I love <laughs> exactly. it. Exactly. Uh, well, yeah, I am a little bummed out that we're leaving the the leaving Ludlow. We're same. leaving Pet Cemetery. I don't know when we'll be back here. I imagine yeah. when we John Campo Piano's book. That is true. Well, that is a good sec because that is probably when we're going to be around these parts and talking about the 89 version, which to me is still my favorite like direct Stephen King adaptation when you consider just getting the look, getting the feel, and just ripping it right from the pages. I love that movie. So yeah, mm-hmm. next year, I guess for the, I believe it's the 35th anniversary. Yeah, 35th anniversary. Yeah. We're going to do, we're, we're probably going to be... Uh, I mean, hopefully, uh, yeah. be part of that book, and then maybe we'll return to Maine. And we're gonna, um, to go back to Maine. we're gonna have to go back to Maine. And Randall's gonna have to be able to go with us to mm-hmm. the all the set sets. We won't bring a <laughs> what I think what was it a Cam- like it wasn't a, it was a Camaro. I can't remember what it was. It was yeah, some kind of Hot Wheels type car that um, almost got stuck in the mud. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Was, and was, yeah. Justin <laughs> almost pulled his back out when we asked him to pull it out of the the car. We won't. We'll avoid yeah. that this time. Um, but Thank yeah, goodness for me and Sammy pushing that car. Seriously, out. Justin was just. <laughs> I'm kidding. Justin did most of the work. <laughs> it was hell at some point because I, I remember thinking I was Lewis Creed uh, because I just because in the beginning of that story he's like oh, I got to turn around and go to Disneyland and I remember uh-huh. thinking like I was I was like oh my gosh we are we are stuck in the mud we're we're lost I think at one point you were like I don't feel good and then oh Sammy, yeah I got car sick <laughs> and Sammy was like I'm hungry or I need to go to the bathroom and I was like. 
oh my God, we are <laughs> so fucked right now. Like, what are we going to do? And then it just turned around and then uh, our own Judd came out and, and talked to talked to us and stuff. Anyway, I'm dig- I digress. It was a great day. <laughs> We're, well, hopefully we have another great day like that next year when we yeah. get to actually revisit Pet Cemetery for more. 35 years. Jesus, that's... God, that, and that is really my first intro. And we haven't aged a day. We haven't know? aged at so. all. Yeah, no, not at all. And I'm I'm gonna be taking my uh those those you know needles that you you I guess you stab your stomach. Oh, is it? Like <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm gonna be taking that and then some growth hormones that Sly Stallone takes, and I want to make sure I look like this when I'm you know 75 years old. So oh, I want to look as good as Stephen plan. King. You know. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, we've digressed enough. Go see if you haven't already, which, by the way, if you haven't watched Pet Cemetery Bloodlines and you listen to these two episodes, what are you doing? Uh, <laughs> like that <yeah>. is <laughs> such a spoiler zone area. But uh, if you haven't and you somehow have managed to watch or listen to both of these episodes and you're thinking, God, I, I need you to check out this movie that they've spent three hours talking about, <laughs> uh, you can over at Paramount+. Plus, and uh, we'll see you next week when we talk about uh, another um, I'm trying to think of how to second to this. Another creature, maybe not of the critter kind, but of the sky, the the nightmares in the sky. Oh, We're unlocking right. our coverage of uh, King's Gargoyle portraits book that uh, the Dan's Dan Caffrey, Dan Flieger talked about a couple of years ago on our Patreon. And I realized, well, that probably should be canonical considering it technically, technically is a book mm-hmm. and it's celebrating its 35th anniversary this year. So, hey, I thought what better time than now in the spooky season. So you'll enjoy that. And then you're probably wondering, wait, 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 are we done with full darkness stars? Like what's happening here? We have you still have two more stories. You only did half of it. Yeah, we're getting there. We're getting there. October 20th. You're going to get Fair Extension and A Good Marriage. It's going to be a fun book. Ep- oh, I don't know if it'll be a fun book episode. I don't think any of these are fun per se. I, no, they're they're quite dark. They are very the dark. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, you know. I what- think these are the two funner ones okay. of the four. Okay. Is it, so it's not like, nothing's going to get as dour as, as Big Driver, right? Oh, no. no okay. Nothing is dour or as dark as Big Driver in 1922. I think those are really the dark ones. Yeah. Um, there are a couple of stars. In these. I mean, these are not non-stop thrill rides but they're more like cynical more mean um and more and you don't see as much of the actual violence okay it's more okay. like descriptions of stuff so yeah interesting okay yeah because i yeah, I, I finished big driver and i was like dark. god <laughs> like, oh yeah full big driver is a is a dark one <laughs> yeah yeah but i'm loving these stories and I, i'm sure i'm sure you are too kind of yeah. listeners and you're going to be finally concluding and closing the book on these and uh and then we're gonna be talking to Sadie Hartman at the the end of the month with yeah, uh super excited uh, for talking that. about her her book 101 horror books to read before you're murdered so that's yeah. the own theme for Halloween but we should go it's getting dark and you know what happens around these parts when the night settles and the stones start moving so yeah. let's mosey on out of here let's get to my car that hopefully isn't stuck in the mud <laughs> and we'll be seeing you over long days and pleasant, pleasant nights. nights. This is the end of our show. For now. Tune in next week. If you like our programming, consider searching for other bloody disgusting podcasts, such as Creepy, Horror Queers, The Boo Crew, SCP Archives, Nightlight, Margaret's Garden, and more.